into the contest. It's Monday the 6th of June. Welcome to Afternoon Sport. Tim Gilbert here. I'm joined by my co-host Shane Lee and I've been waiting with bated breath all weekend. I, I interviewed couple of correspondents on Sky News on the weekend about the Platinum Jubilee and I was at the back of my mind I thought oh here's Shane he's going to his party and he's dressing up as one of the royals how did it go? Mate it was a great party uh, plenty mm. of uh, plenty of good dress ups the food was amazing fish and chips we had roast beef with little mini uh, Yorkshire puddings um, to some trifle at the end and uh, but pints of lager pims and lemonade but yeah, I think the best dressed on ground was uh, one of the boys went as Princess Harry. There was a Prince Philip there who was going around saying inappropriate things all night, so that was quite funny. But uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good night. Geez, that music was good too, watching Queen. Oh yeah, Queen, Neil Diamond, Elton John, Rod Stewart. It really was mm. quite a concert. And uh, regardless of whether you're a royalist or not, pretty remarkable human being, of course. The Queen making that final appearance on the balcony as well for a wave, which surprised everyone in the old video with Paddington Bear. All right, we've got plenty to talk about today. Coco Goff not happy about crying. And what about cricket? Joe Rudy looks so relaxed as he made his way beyond 10,000 runs in the Magpies. Clinch a thrilling victory. John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. In 2003, he dreamed of producing a great-tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass-produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves your back. I hate myself for crying. They were the words of Coco Goff um, after she broke down following that French Open loss. i tell you what, she's being tough on herself, Shane. She's been very, very tough on herself. Uh, she's playing the number one player in the world at the moment in Swiatek, and look, Swiatek was just too good in a day. Coco's got to remember, she's only 18 years of age. Um, she's the youngest girl to be playing in a French Open final since uh, Maria Sharapova did in 2004. Mm. And look, she got beaten in straight sets in only 68 minutes, but look, she's 18 years of age. I feel like giving her a big cuddle and saying, look, it'll be okay, you will win a major one day. She'll win more than one major, I reckon. Um, yeah, don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah, that's one of the things about tennis particularly is the expectation. Often mm. the expectation is coming from inside families as well because kids are given tennis rackets at the age of four and five and six and, you know, obsessive parents. So, uh, yeah, look, a, a tear is, uh, is very natural yeah. as a human being. Yeah, and, and also, mate, and then, look, you go on the, on the opposite side of the things in the, in the mm. men's final, Nadal winning in straight sets, 6-3, 6-3, 6-love, um, to win his 14th French Open, and he goes now to 22 majors, um, two clear of uh, Federer uh, and Djokovic, and uh, Nadal proving he is... At the moment, the greatest player in the world. Yeah, people crying because he's so good and also because he takes so long to do stuff. Um, yeah, well done to Rafa, <laughs> of course. That was sensational what he did there. But uh, you almost expect him. You almost have a tick against the French Open, don't you, every year with him because he's so mm. good on the clay. And uh, that was that was a ridiculous question, wasn't it, to Igor Swiatek uh, regarding the makeup? Um, look, I, I am a journalist and I haven't always asked the best questions in the world, but some 
people really do put their foot in the mud. Yeah, particularly when she's on the greatest run of wins since Serena Williams. Uh, to be asked the question, do you wear makeup uh, after the match and that sort of stuff? It's just like a silly, silly question. And uh, I thought she handled it really well, but just some journalist trying to make a name for herself, I think. Yeah, you wonder sometimes whether a friend has said, hey, if you duck in this question, I'll shout you dinner tonight. You know, just as you, you know what I mean? Like, it's like when someone yep. in a broadcast, can you drop in this word somewhere? Now, mm. England, it was a good win. It was a good test match, actually, at Lords. I thought um, uh, went for four days. New Zealand were right in it for, for right till the end. But then Joe Root scored a, a great hundred. Um, he has been relieved of the captaincy and he could go on to score 15,000 runs, I think, now. He's gone beyond 10,000. Yeah, definitely, Tim. He's um, he's only 31 years of age. He's already got 10,000 test runs, averaging 49 with 26 test hundreds already. Mm. Amazing stats. And uh, you're right, he looked relaxed, he looked comfortable, and he was the big difference um, between the two teams. Teams sort of uh, over the four innings, you know, they're averaging around 250. Uh, England went in five down for um, chasing 279 and they got their five down, Joe Root there at the end, to get him the victory. And he, it was really nice what he said. He, he said that um, Stokes was really, really good to him when he was captain and always put in. And he said, I want to do the same for him now that he's captain. So, um, yeah, good start for the Poms under Brennan McCallum. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, good crowds as well. What about Nepal? Uh, bowled out for eight oh. in an under-19 women's. I, I shouldn't giggle, but, but it, like it, these alarming stats remind you of those junior games where someone yeah. had like a an extraordinary fast bowler and the whole side was toppled. Yeah, as you said, mate, Nepal bowled out for eight uh, against the UAE. They actually won the toss and elected the bat. <laughs> so imagine if they got set in and we made four. But uh, it was UAE teenage um, bowler Gore. She took five for two or four, and they are very much uh, under under ten uh, statistics there. But I think they've got to reassess their batting line at Nepal and um, work on that and come back and say, hopefully they can make 20 next week. Yeah, they need to, they need to get back into the nets, that's for sure. It's, uh, yeah, it can happen when you get when, when we can start to tumble, they can go quick. All right, we've got plenty to talk about AFL, NRL, and, of course, the huge boxing on the weekend. That was a great wing by Collingwood over Hawthorne. Um, some umpiring this year has been pedestrian, hasn't it? And again, we've seen it here. Yeah, well, um, and thank goodness this umpiring decision, which went against the Magpies, um, didn't mm. cost them the match. So there's only four points in it, 72 to 68. The Pies look good. Uh, and they they sort of in and around the top eight now. Um, but yeah, it, it's frustrating, particularly when it's a low-scoring match and those umpiring decisions that can be absolute shockers can lose you a match and put you out outside the eight. So thank goodness it didn't cost the Magpies, but a really hard-fought um, game in the rain down there in Melbourne. Yeah, I don't think Luca Muller would have been happy with the uh, Melbourne Demons result. You and I both were because we're Swans fans. I, I watched this game and... Um, they were so good, weren't they, the Swans, to get the victory in light of the fact that there was nobody. Franklin puts them in six. They're sitting nicely there. Uh, there's a bit of a congestion, um, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. It's all pretty close. So, uh, and Melbourne obviously coming back to the field with two straight losses. Yeah, they are. Melbourne's still uh, four points clear, two wins clear. Um, say that the Swans, as you said, Tim, were unbelievable. They never gave up. They fought. Um, and it was... It, yeah, without the, abs- without the absence of uh, Buddy Franklin, 
Um, young Logan McDonald stood up, kicked a couple of really good goals towards the end, and Papley's kicking that last goal uh, on the run from about 60 out to uh, to get the Swans home was was sensational to watch. Look, they go now, they get a bye next week, um, the Swans. So with that, they'll get Tom Hickey back there, Ruckman, who will make a huge difference to their team moving forward. And they also probably get Harry Cunningham back as well. So Swans in a really, really good position, eight and four, uh, sixth on the ladder currently. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, in uh, the NRL, looks like a bit of a pay dispute. This this comes up a bit, doesn't it, uh, around state of origin time. But of course, the players did take a pay cut like many people through the COVID pandemic. Um, and look, when the NRL's making, what, $47 million, um, they're, they're getting a little agitated. Clint Newton and the Players Association and so they should be. Um, the players did the right thing by taking a pay cut during COVID. Uh, they normally get thirty thousand dollars per match um, in the state of origin. They came back to fifteen, and the revenue's up. It's currently up at five hundred seventy-five million. That the state of origin is the big cash cow. Pay the players. I, I think thirty thousand dollars a game is actually unders as well for state of origin. I think they should be paid more than that. So they need to get their act together. The NRL. Uh, boxing, George um, Cambosis, uh, he lost the fight. A lot of people uh, thought he'd win it, to be honest, um, but he lost it, and, and it wasn't just a loss. He was beaten beaten well. He was, mate. Devin Haney outboxed uh, him, mate. Um, it was something like Haney landed 78 jabs to 32, um, mm. which then forced... Uh, Cambosis is going to more of a brawl-like thing and then he got towed up and, uh, yeah, totally outclassed, I thought. Pretty ordinary scenes out the front with some fans brawling. Sometimes I remember, yeah. like, after watching Rocky and my brother and I were, um, were running down past Maryland Station, dee-dee-dee-dee-dee, <laughs> we're punching the air, but it's a bit different when you go watch a boxer fight and you're punching each other. They've got to increase security, I think, outside these uh, venues um, for boxing matches and, look, I think it's just uh, human nature. Not everyone wants to fight when they see a fight, but some people do um, and these scenes were horrific there was people getting knocked out and full on full on brawl so yeah not great scenes there outside Marvel Stadium in Melbourne yeah absolutely ridiculous to be honest with you and Ange Postacoglu um, be nice mm. if he was coaching the Socceroos right at the moment after his uh, achievement at Celtic and everyone wanting to play Ange ball through the United Kingdom but he's basically it's a, it's a pretty you know, it's pretty sensible advice, isn't it? Without being too complex, he's basically telling the Socceroos to forget the past and focus on qualifying for the World Cup. And it's not bad advice, is it? Uh, in sporting or life's terms, there's not really much you can do about yesterday. You can only do something about today. So Ange being pretty pragmatic about it all. Yeah, what he's saying is correct, but I don't think we really want to hear from Ange now, do we? And I know Graham Arnold wouldn't. Um, you know, they're all high and mighty now that he's won, he's won a premiership and... Uh, thinks that he's got the uh, all-conquering advice. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think Ange should just be quiet for a little while and look, it would be nice for him to be coached, but he's not. And uh, the advice is right. Get on with it, guys. Forget about the past. And uh, I think Ange needs to forget about the past too and uh, we all should move on. Yeah, I wonder whether Graham Arnold will last. What do you think if, if they don't make the world? Nah. I know it's, you think he's gone? He's gone, mate, absolutely gone. I think I think in the future you'll see someone like Aloisi who'll potentially take over as a Socceroos coach. Yeah, it'd be interesting to watch. All right, uh, finally mm. today, Phil Emery, I love him. Um, great cricketer, of course. He was uh, a great teammate of yours. Captain, of course, of New South Wales for a long time. Did make that, was it one appearance for yep. Australia? Good golfer. Um, you've got a Phil Emery story today. I do. It was, it was my first uh, game for New South Wales. I was only 18, so it just reminded me of uh, that young Coco and, and her being upset and 
it similar similar thing happened to me in my first Shield game. I was bowling to the then uh, West Australian and Australian opener Jeff Marsh, and I was seriously nervous. I was the opening bowler for New South Wales, and um, I was running in bowling, and I, I bowled quite a few wide balls, and I just sort of overtaken by the whole situation to the point where I think I had none for about fourteen or fifteen of two overs. And I went up to Phil Emery. I said, do you actually want me to bowl another over? And he said, Shane, you are our opening bowler. That's your job. <laughs> and I sort of, I remember thinking in the moment, well, he's probably right. Yeah, that is my job to get some wickets. So I went back. Luckily, I got Jeff Marsh out um, and Phil gave me a rest. As it turned out, he was my first first class wicket, my second first class wicket. So I only got one wicket in each innings. And that was the end of the season. And we played at West Australia. In the first game next year, and I got him first ball of that game. So he was my my first three first class weeks were all Jeff Marsh, and he went on to become coach. And uh, I don't think he liked me that much after that. <laughs> Not a bad stat though, when you look <laughs> with posterity. Uh, yeah, that was almost like a little bit of Ange Postecoglou advice from Phil. <laughs> yeah, you are opening bowler, Shane. That's it for Afternoon Sport today. Make sure you hit follow or subscribe wherever you listen. A big thank you to our sponsors. Yeah, fantastic sponsors. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves you back. Absolutely. And our wonderful producer, Dan McHugh. We're back tomorrow with your daily dose of sport. We'll see you then, guys. Take care. Building. Resilience. Podcast. They play in different arenas, but sports and business have massive similarities. Elite athletes and top business leaders flourish through the physical and psychological demands their high-stress careers place on them. The Building Resilience podcast explores the world of sport and deconstructs the tools and ethos of world-class athletes that can help us create growth and optimize business and life. Come find the Building Resilience podcast on your favorite podcast app.